Thank you, worship team. Good morning. The first Sunday in January. I don't know if you caught what Erica was saying in the wire a little bit earlier, but encouraging us to think about New Year's resolutions. She was talking about the faith and fitness. Certainly New Year's resolutions encompass how we think about how we care for our bodies. And those are all good and valuable, but uh, really this morning where I want to aim is going even a step beyond that to think about as we care for our bodies, how we care for our souls. And our scripture this morning, really the, really the main point, is, it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, where Paul, perhaps thinking of people's propensity to make resolutions, says, train yourself for godliness. And he compares that even to some of the resolutions that we make maybe financially or physically. Train yourself for godliness for a while. Bodily training is of some value. It is a good thing, in other words, to make resolutions about exercise, about diet. While that is of some value, godliness, growing in godliness, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So with that in mind this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a New Year's resolution. I know at this point some of you may be groaning inwardly. You think, you know, it's seven days into the New Year. I've already failed in my New Year's resolutions. Or maybe you are like uh, the little one in this meme. You know, my goal for 2018 is to accomplish the goals of 2017, which I should have done in 2016 because I promised them in 2014 and planned them in 2013. Maybe that's how you feel about New Year's resolutions. Studies that I checked this week showed that by the second week in February, over 80% of New Year's resolutions are abandoned already, and that if you track people who've made New Year's resolutions through a whole year, by the end of the year, only about 8% are still keeping them. So I know we get caught in that, and I know many of us have made resolutions enough times and failed in them that, you know, we're at the point where as the new year comes around, we don't even want to make any more New Year's resolutions. I want to encourage you this morning, especially if that describes you. That certainly has described me. I want to encourage you this morning with a practical, achievable way for this resolution to train yourself in godliness over the next year. Let me give you that resolution. This is just one piece of training yourself in godliness. Let me give it to you kind of in a language that's a couple centuries old. This is the language of Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers and theologians that our nation has ever known. Here's a resolution that he made, among with many others. He made this actually when he was 19 years old, resolved to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Now, that's, that's language is a century or two old. That may not hit you like it hits me. Let me give you my paraphrase, because this is a resolution that I have adopted in my life. Let me give you my paraphrase of Jonathan Edwards' resolution. This is my resolution each year. I want to be, over the next year, I want to be in the Bible so regularly and frequently that as at the end of the year I look back over the past year, I can see how I have grown in godliness. In other words, in my knowledge of God, in my love for God, and in my progress in living a life 
that glorifies God. That is, I want to tell you this morning, I want to encourage you this morning, that is a practical, achievable goal. Now, why? Maybe, maybe it's helpful to begin with a question, why? Why is being in Scripture, why is that essential to growing in godliness? And for that, I want to give you a little bit of an illustration. This is a little medicine cup that I've got in my hands here. That, that holds about one ounce of liquid. How many ounces of water do you think that your body needs during the course of an average day? Mayo Clinic, through their online um, web compendium of medical information, says that the average human body needs 64 ounces of water every day to remain healthy. 64 of these little medicine cupfuls of water is, is, what, uh, is what your body supposedly needs. Let me put that in context for you. I went searching for a 7-Eleven this week. Do you know you have no 7-Elevens in Memphis anymore? I'm from Florida. There's 7-Elevens on every corner. And so I grew up, um, you know, with the convenience store 7-Eleven with the whole concept of the Big Gulp. Do you know what the Big Gulp is? You know, maybe some of you have run across a 7-Eleven. The Gulp first came out when 7-Eleven produced that as 16 ounces, 16 little cups. You know, you go back to the fountain there, you're really hungry for, thirsty, excuse me, for your, your Coke or whatever it is, and you could get not just a 12 ounce, you could get a, a Gulp, you could get 16 ounces. Well, that wasn't big enough. And so they came up with the Big Gulp. The Big Gulp is double that. It's 32 ounces. Here, uh, this isn't a Big Gulp cup, but this is from a convenience store. It's uh, the equivalent size, 32 ounces. 7-Eleven, for those who really like their soft drinks, came up with a gulp. That wasn't even big enough, and soon they had the super big gulp, which was 44 ounces. And then eventually, they had the double big gulp, which is 64 ounces, two of these. That's what your body needs. My, our bodies need an average day in water. I think 7-Eleven eventually came up with the trash can size gulp. I'm not sure, but uh, they seem to keep increasing that every year. But just picture that. Two of these, or 64 of these, is the amount of water that the average human body needs every day to remain healthy. Why is that so important? Because water purifies the system. Water removes impurities. Water keeps our kidneys and our liver and our other internal organs functioning. Water prevents us from being dehydrated. Try to go through any normal day without water or with very little water, just a couple ounces of water, and, and you will, your body will falter. Your body will weaken. You may pass out. Put your body under stress. Run a race. Do some intensive exercise. Go on a stressful hike. 64 ounces isn't even enough water for your body. Well, just as you're in my body needs to be nourished regularly with water to stay healthy, so you're in my spirits, our souls need to be nourished with the Word of God, the truth of God that He reveals in His Word. We need to be that regular nourishment, that intensive nourishment of, uh, of Scripture. Peter says that you and I, 1 Peter 2, you and I, as we begin to follow Jesus, we begin like newborn infants. And what does a newborn infant need? I mean, we know this from our practical experience, but, but Peter points it out here. They need pure milk. 
They need an ongoing diet of pure milk. So Peter says, you and your, your following Christ, your life following Christ, you need the regular, the regular dosages of the pure milk of the Word so that what? You can grow up in your salvation. An infant that is denied milk, that nourishment, is not going to grow. It's probably going to die. We, as we come into the spiritual, the Christian life, and we come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, and we begin to follow Him, we need that regular nourishment of His Word. We need to hear the gospel again and again in all of the ways that it's revealed through Scripture if we're going to continue to follow Christ and grow in Him. That was my experience. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents and, uh, did not become Christians till I was about age 13. That's about when I became a Christian. I remember without that church background, having really no biblical background, I remember that when I came to faith in Christ at age 13, I was given a Bible, but nobody really told me you should be regularly reading this. And so pretty much here was my experience. Maybe you can identify this. Maybe this was your experience. I'd go to church on a Sunday, and I'd hear the pastor give a message, and that'd be like, you know, drinking a little ounce or two of spiritual nourishment. I'd, I'd go to youth group on Sunday nights, and I'd hear a good devotional, and there's another ounce or two. And then I'd go through the rest of the week, all dry, all dry, just those few ounces that I would get on a Sunday morning. Was it any wonder that I struggled? Was it any wonder that certain temptations overwhelmed me? Was it any wonder that I couldn't break free of certain areas of sin in my life? Why? Because I was undernourished. I was dehydrated spiritually. Those few ounces that I got on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, as good as they were, they weren't good. That wasn't enough. So when I went off to college, and maybe this has been your experience, or you know people who this is their experience— without even that regular incentive, you know, get in the car. My parents would say, we're going to church at Sunday. Without that anymore, I would sleep in on Sundays. I'd be out too late on Saturday nights. I wouldn't even get those few ounces of spiritual nourishment on Sunday in college. Every once in a while, I'd pull a devotional book off the shelf and get an ounce or two of spiritual nourishment, and I floundered spiritually. It was my time in the desert spiritually. Why? There was no regular nourishment of the Word. And, and, and frankly, that's my concern for, for perhaps many of you. I don't know personally where you are with your intake of the Word, but I suspect for many of you, your, my experience is in some way your experience, that what you get here on Sunday mornings, maybe here or there during the week, is just a, a few ounces and in that way, if that is all our intake of Scripture, we get spiritually dehydrated. And it is easy just for us to get overwhelmed by the dryness, the spiritual desert of the world that we encounter in our daily lives. When I graduated from college, my parents, who had grown a bit in their faith by then, they, they gave me as a graduation gift, they gave me uh, an open Bible. That was the first Bible that I had been given that had our Bible reading plan in it. In the middle, among all the helps between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this plan, read through your Bible in a year. That was the first time that I attempted to get into regular Bible reading myself. And it went really well for about the first six weeks. You know, Genesis, Exodus, 
But then you get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, and I didn't have anybody encouraging me. I didn't have anybody I knew who was doing this along with me. That first year, I kind of faltered. But along the way, the Lord brought people into my life who were also attempting to be regularly in Scripture. And we found ways to encourage each other. A few times I even read through parts of Scripture like the New Testament with other people to keep encouraging each other. And I'll tell you, over the last 35 years, as I've made that effort every year to read through the Bible at least once, I've grown in my ability to do that. And it has enriched me spiritually. And and let me say this to you this morning. I have come to see a direct relationship between how regularly and thoroughly I am reading the Bible and my spiritual health. And when my Bible reading falters, when I go through any kinds of periods where that is not a I'm not regularly intaking Scripture, my spiritual health suffers from this. Before I go any further, I I want you to hear a few caveats. I want you to hear what I'm not saying, all right? What I am not saying this morning is that you and I, we somehow earn God's favor by reading the Bible. Or somehow, you and I, by being regularly in Scripture, we get elevated to a higher plane of Christianity. That is not what I'm saying at all. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I don't bring my Bible reading to the cross. I don't bring any other work that I do to the cross. The only thing you and I bring to the cross is our sin. Jesus is the only perfectly righteous one. So this is not about earning God's favor. This is not about somehow trying to deal with guilt in my life. This is something where I've come to see I thirst for this. I need this. I falter when this is not part of my life. Another caveat, another thing that I want you to hear that I am not saying is this. The more you read the Bible, the easier your life will become. In fact, I've found the opposite to be true. I found that the more that I read Scripture and the more I learn God's truth, the more I learn about what He calls us to do as we follow Jesus Christ, the more that puts me in challenging situations in my life. You know, ignorance is is bliss in one way, you know, but the more that you learn of Scripture, the more it changes the way you think and you speak and you act. And that can, at times, make life much more challenging. I'm also not saying that regularly reading your Bible is a formula for successful Christian living. Reading your Bible regularly is not a shield against trials, against difficult circumstances in your life. But I'll tell you this, the more that I fill my mind with Scripture, the more that I notice that the Holy Spirit changes the way that I feel and I think about those trials and those difficult circumstances. And that changes me. That directly impacts the way that I'm able to deal with trials and difficult circumstances in my life. Well, how? How does regularly reading through the Bible, having that regular intake of Scripture in your life, how does that train us in godliness? How does that help us to know God more, to love God more, to understand the gospel more fully, to follow Christ more faithfully. Uh, You know, there's many answers to that, but I keep coming back to what Paul tells us in Romans 12, Romans 12, 2. He says, uh, he starts where most of us are. Do not be conformed to this age or to this world, 
We live in a spiritual desert of this world that would seek to shape us, to conform us into the way that it thinks and it operates. How do we not become conformed to that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, or like the New Living Translation puts it, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. I want you to think for just a minute. How do you and I change? How do we overcome maybe, you know, things that happened to us and shaped us all the way back in our childhood? How do we change out of habits that we want to break, that we feel enslaved to? How do we change in the way that we relate and deal with others? You know, our, our, the, way that we, the way that we interact with, with each other, the way that we live out in our habits, you know, so often that is feeling-driven, our emotions. I love that Pixar movie that was out a few years ago, Inside Out, where that little girl, Riley, it showed how in her internal world, these emotions, the, these character emotions of joy and sadness, disgust and fear and anger, they, they motivate her decisions that she makes. That is true of us. We're emotionally driven in much of what we do. But do you know what's underneath our emotions? What we think. The way that we think influences how we feel. And how we feel, therefore, influences how we act. And that's what Romans 12:2 is describing. The Holy Spirit does this work in your and my life, and He does it primarily through Scripture, of changing the way that we think, renewing our minds. And by changing the way that we think, it changes the way that we feel. And ultimately, that begins to change the way that we act and we live. And while there are many ways the Holy Spirit does this, the primary way that the Holy Spirit changes your mind, my mind, is through His Word, through the Bible. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon said, the Bible sanctifies and molds the mind into the image of Christ. That's what I want. You cannot expect to grow in grace, he says, if you do not read the Scriptures. Now let me, uh, just for the remainder of my time here, I, I want to share with you my method for, uh, for reading through the Scriptures. And, and I'll say right out at the beginning of this, you may not like my method, all right? And that's totally fine. You may have another method already, and my goal of is, today is not to switch you over to my method. But I, when I think about people who don't like my method, I think about uh, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Bible Institute, got into a discussion once with a woman about his style of evangelizing, of sharing his faith. And he was known to be a little pushy. He was known to be a little bit in your face with the way that he shared his faith. And that's what the woman told him. She said, I don't like your methods very much, Mr. Moody. And Moody answered, well, I'm not sure I like them all that much either. Why don't you tell me your method and then maybe we can compare? And she answered, well, I don't have a method. And Moody replied, then I like my method better than yours. <laughs> so if you don't have a method of being regularly in Scripture, even if you don't like my method, I like my method better than your method. If you have a method that's been working for you, I'd love to hear about it. There is not one right method for being regularly in the Word. The point, of course, 
is that any method for regularly reading the Bible is better than no method. Really, you have to have a plan of some kind. You have to have some kind of structure, or it'll never really effectually happen in your life. So I have, um, you know, honoring 7-Eleven, I've called my method uh, the big gulp method of reading through Scripture, and I basically describe it like this. My method, and it's been uh, for about the last 20 years, has been to seek to read the Bible in daily big gulps uh, so, so, so that through the course of the year, I get through reading Scripture, the whole Bible, at least once. Now, I, I acknowledge there are different ways to read Scripture. There, there are, there, uh, I, I, if I think of it in terms of, uh, I've got a son who's trying to get into medical school. He studies gross anatomy and microbiology. What's microbiology? That's looking at little parts of the body, down to the cellular level. And there's value in that. You need that and understanding the body. That's the equivalent of maybe you have a habit of reading Scripture where you have a couple verses a day, and you read those verses, but you study those verses, and you, you meditate upon those verses, and maybe you journal about those verses. That's wonderful. I am not criticizing that method at all. That's the microbiology method of Scripture. I'm talking about the other end. I have the gross anatomy method of Scripture, the big gulp. What is gross anatomy? That is the study of the human body, how all the different parts fit together. That is looking at the entire part of the body and how each system in the body works together. That's the big gulp method of reading Scripture. When we read the Bible in big gulps, in sections big enough to get us through the Scripture at least once every year, what does it do? It helps us to see and learn how all the different parts of the Bible fit together. It helps us to see how the Old Testament prepares us for the New Testament, how, how we see Christ promised in the Old Testament, how we see the impossibility of keeping the law, of being a good, righteous person on our own in the Old Testament, preparing us for what Jesus brings in the gospel in the New Testament. What do we see in the New Testament? We see Jesus come on the scene and reveal the gospel to us. And, and, and go to the cross to ensure that the gospel is effective for us. We see the kingdom promised. And as you read through Scripture in sections big enough to get you through all of Scripture in a year, you see how that all comes together. You see how God progressively reveals His plan of redemption. You see how certain parts of the Bible help you understand and interpret other parts of the Bible. I never really understood Hebrews until I began to study Leviticus. And Leviticus, to me, had no point to it until I understood and began to study Hebrews. So reading in sections that are big enough where all of it begins to fit together enriched my view of what God was doing in His revealed Word and Scripture. The, 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 the picture coming up on the screen there, the picture of that Bible, the, I, I love this. This Bible, this is a picture of the Bible that belongs to Grant Horner. Grant Horner has been an inspiration to me. He is a professor at uh, the Master's College. That's John MacArthur's College out in California. And Grant Horner began life like me. He, he did not grow up in a Christian home for the first author up all the way through his late teen years. He had no one teaching him the Bible. He had no church intake uh, he didn't go to church at all. His parents didn't take him into church. He fell into the drug culture. 
But in his late teens, early 20s, he was radically saved out of the drug culture. So here he is, a brand new believer. He has no biblical background, no training, no, no church basis for understanding Scripture. What does he do? Well, he begins, he was given a Bible, and, and he begins to start reading that Bible in big gulps, daily big gulps. And here's what he says about his experience. Within three years of doing that, I knew the text of my Bible very well. 25 years later, it was essentially imprinted, all of Scripture imprinted on my mind and heart. I knew precisely, I know precisely where virtually everything is in my Bible. Like I said, he now teaches at the Master's College, and he he describes the experience of being interviewed. Of course, you go through a number of interviews, but your last interview, apparently, if you come on the faculty of the Master's College, is you're interviewed by Pastor John MacArthur yourself. And uh, through the course of that interview, as it neared the end of the interview, John MacArthur said, can I see your Bible? And this, the Bible up on the screen, is the Bible that he had with him at the time. And he said, I was horrified because I literally read my Bible to the point where it was falling apart. The cover was gone. The stitching in the spine was coming apart. The pages were curling and all marked up. He was horrified in handing over his Bible to John MacArthur because it looked like it had been through a tornado. And MacArthur looked at the Bible and replied, well, if your Bible is falling apart, you probably aren't. And isn't that the truth? The more that we are in Scripture, even in the midst of the trials and difficult circumstances that we go through, the more we can go through those without our lives falling apart. So with that, that's what I want to be like. I I want to know the Bible so well that I precisely know where everything is in it, that I can turn to wherever I'm looking for. I I want it to be imprinted not just in my mind, but on my heart. I don't want to do this to become some kind of superior Christian. I don't want to do this because I'm a pastor. I want to do this because I need this. I want to do this because this is the way God makes me more like Christ. I want to do this because this is the way God undoes the hard things that happened to me in childhood. I want to do this because this is the way he shapes my character and he changes my habits and he transforms me more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what I want for you as well. So, Let me just, in these remaining few minutes, share some methods of doing this. Again, there is not one right method, and if you already have a method that works for you, that's great. I'm not trying to change your method, but I want to give, especially for those of you who've never attempted this, I want to give you some some methods that you can think about uh, perhaps trying, perhaps beginning to train yourself in godliness in this way. And, And I just simply say this, pick a method pick a time, and begin to do it. And here's, um, by the way, there is, uh, uh, you're going to see a number of methods on the screen really quickly here. Uh, There's a couple ways, if you are interested in any or all of these, that you can access these. In your worship bulletin today is a page on my personal website that has all of these. So you can download any of these directly from my website. For those of you maybe who don't use the internet as much, we've uh, we put together a packet of all of these that I'm going to go through today. I've got a few copies up here. I think they still have some at the front desk. We'll print more 
if some are needed. But I would encourage you, even beyond these methods that I'm going to share, ask people you know who are already regularly in Scripture what they do. There are many other methods out there. So I've got just three categories. There are the starter plans, there are the one-year plans, and then there are those for who want to go a little further. What's a starter plan? Maybe you're here this morning and you have never attempted to be regularly in Scripture in any form whatsoever. Here's some suggestions for you. The first one, a five-by-five Bible reading plan. This, this, this is uh, not overly ambitious. This is to get through just the New Testament in one year. Reading five days a week, only five days a week. Really, you could, you could probably read for five minutes a day and get through this in five days a week. Or the second plan is the one that for two of my sons really work for them. Two of my sons struggle to be regularly in Scripture. They found this plan. It's aptly named the Bible reading plan for shirkers and slackers, which I I love the title, especially with my sons. They found this one to work for them. This gives a reading plan for each day of the week, but it it gives you slack if you miss. It doesn't encourage you, you know, you got to drop out now. It just encourages you to pick back up where you've left off. There is a three-year plan. Maybe reading through your Bible in one year is is too ambitious to begin with. There's a three-year plan called Every Word in the Bible. You read only one chapter a day, alternating between the Old Testament or the New Testament. There's a two-year Bible reading plan that covers the entire Bible, reading through the Old and New Testament once and the Psalms and Proverbs four times. Under starter plans, I've also included... uh, a plan or a series of plans for for maybe you're going to help your kids or your grandkids read through Scripture, regularly read through Scripture. A woman named Rachel Wojo has put together these very creative, uh, easily done Bible reading plans for each of the Gospels and one for Proverbs that, that kids find engaging and you can take your kids through. That's the first category. What about one-year plans? Maybe this is the year that you really want to try to read through your Bible, the entire Bible, in one year. Here's a few ideas. The 52-week Bible reading plan covers the Bible in one year. Each day of the week, you're in a different genre of Scripture. One day, you're in the, the letter, the epistles, the New Testament letters. Another day, you're in the Old Testament law. Another day, you're in Old Testament history, and so on and so forth. Or the ESV daily Bible reading plan covers the Bible in one year, and it has four different lists. You do four different readings, four chapters a day in different sections of the Bible. That variety of the different readings on different days keeps it fresh, keeps it interesting. The book at a time Bible reading plan comes in a little different way. It takes you through the Bible in one year, but it alternates you between New Testament and Old Testament, reading through entire books at a time. The uh, ESV chronological Bible reading plan. I love chronological Bible reading plans. I've, I've tried these many years over the last 35 years. These are plans that take the different parts of Scripture and put them in the order that they historically happen. So Psalms is in, intermixed with the historical books. Again, another fresh way of keeping you reading Scripture. The Bible Eater Plan will get you through the Bible in one year, reading two to three chapters per day. It takes you through the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, and the Psalms several times. It also gives you several days off a month to catch up. 
The five-day Bible reading program is, is just that. It gets you through the entire Bible reading just five days a week. Two plans that go a little bit beyond this. Maybe you have been successful in reading through your Bible in a year, and you want something to take you a little further, to stretch you. Uh, The Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan takes the reader through the Old Testament once and the New Testament and Psalms twice per every year. That means you're reading about four chapters a day taken from different parts of the Bible. And finally, Grant Horner, who I mentioned earlier, he has a very ambitious Bible reading plan. Uh, This takes a little longer every day, but if you follow his plan, it takes you through the Gospels four times every year, the Pentateuch twice, the Epistles of Paul four to five times, the Old Testament wisdom literature six times, the Psalms twice, and the Proverbs and Acts a dozen times. Uh, It's a very ambitious plan that I've, I've tried a year or two. There are other good plans out there. You know, your phone, you, many, of the, many of the apps that you can download have, have plans, have Bible reading plans where you will get emailed or you'll get texted what you're to read that day to get you through the Bible in a year. There are online plans. There are many plans out there. The point, again, is this. There's not one plan that's better than the other, but pick a plan this year, pick a time to do it, and begin to do it. Now, let me close with a couple concerns or or objections, maybe. Concerns, I'll phrase them. You know, one concern that's very real and I've heard many times is, I don't have the time. I'm I'm a commuter. I'm a a, a mother or a father of young children, newborn children. And, And that's a reality. God takes us through seasons of our life where time is very, very precious. If you're a commuter, though, there's time on the road. There's time that you can listen to Scripture audibly. If you are a young mother, a young father, I remember when our kids were little and I took my share of those nighttime bottle feedings, I'd have a New Testament open on the table right next to where I was nursing our kids. I could read a paragraph while I was giving one of our sons a bottle, maybe a chapter or more. I didn't shoot for any higher than that. I just wanted some intake of Scripture on a regular basis. God is not grading on a curve here. We're not doing this to become somehow superior Christians. We're doing this to nourish ourselves. So if your life circumstances are such where a one-year Bible reading plan is not doable for you, where can you start? What little nourishment can you get? The other, another one, I find reading difficult Maybe that's a reality for you as you're not a reader. There are many audible versions of Scripture that that help you intake of Scripture. Or maybe this. I've tried this before, Dan. I've tried reading through the Bible before, and I've failed. And you know, again, that was my experience the first few times I attempted this. Let me give you the words of Grant Horner again. If you miss a day or two, okay, get over it and then keep going. Don't cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes and quit. In fact, I love what J.R. Miller says about the Bible because it speaks to me. Maybe it speaks to you as well. The Bible is indeed a book for the unsuccessful. Its sweetest messages are for those who have fallen It is full of comfort for those who are in sorrow. It has many special promises for the needy. It is a book for those who have failed, for the disappointed, the defeated, and the discouraged. 
Does that describe you? That certainly describes me at times in my life where I have failed, I am disappointed, I am defeated, I am discouraged. The Bible is what I need. It speaks to me in those states. Yes, it's January 7th, and most resolutions start on January 1st, but you know what? The goal is not necessarily to check off 365 days. The goal is to regularly get into the intake of Scripture. So you can begin today, or you can begin tomorrow, or you can begin next week or next month, or you can begin in July. All of these plans work wherever you start in the year. If you miss and you fall off on one of these plans, you can pick them up wherever you left off, and they work. Let me leave you with, um, with this last quotation from Thomas Brooks. When I think about all that there is around us to read on the internet and books and magazines and newspapers, I always come back to what Thomas Brooks says, speaking of the Bible. Love this book above all other books. Prize this book above all other books. Read this book before all other books. Study this book more than all other books. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have chosen not to remain distant, but to reveal yourself, who you are, your truth, uh, how, how we are saved through Jesus Christ. You've revealed all of this to us in your word. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I, I pray this, the same thing that I pray for myself, Lord, that Bible reading would not be something as a badge of honor as a Christian, as some way of feeling better about ourselves or thinking of ourselves as superior Christians. It would come out of an intense thirst. I I pray, Lord, that you would heighten the thirst that each of us have to know more about you, to know more about Christ, to know more about your truth and what it means to walk in it. Lord, give us a thirst for your word. Help us to take those steps to train ourselves in godliness as we regularly intake your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.